It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, drop and give me 20. (laughs) Holy cow, what in the world was that? With James Franklin doing those push-ups. That was (laughs) that was wild. This is the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I am Corey Geiger. Thank you for tuning in. We got a lot of really good stuff to talk about today. A lot of good news, okay? Uh so Really some fun things to talk about after Penn State's 30 to nothing destruction of Maryland. A game that a lot of people probably thought was going to be close. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be close. I think I picked 31-16. I didn't think it would be overly close. But I also didn't think Penn State would humiliate Maryland. We'll break the game down. And here's the main question I want to ask everybody. Is how are you feeling about Penn State right now? That's really the key after losing to Michigan, everybody was ticked off. Blowing the lead against Ohio State, everybody was like, ah, they can't win the big game. Well, the one good thing about this Penn State team that is undeniable, they have come out and destroyed some decent teams that we thought were okay, and yet Penn State has toyed with them and made them look bad. Did it to Minnesota. Did it, now Indiana's not any good, but they certainly crushed Indiana and then clobbered Maryland. And look, folks, I think there's a lot to that. Um, and I'll get to some, some more of that in, in just a couple minutes. But the James Franklin push-up thing, <laughs> I just, I, you know, so here, here's the deal. Here's what, how things work, just so people understand what it's like to be in the media. Okay, so... We're in the press box. There's a hundred of us in the press box. We have, you know, a handful of TVs up above our heads, but it's, we're, we're watching the game on the field. It's all, it's hard to always, you know, be checking the TV and paying attention to what's going on with the TV. So bottom line is you folks at home, you have much more information than we have in the press box. You, you get to hear the broadcasters. You get to see the camera angles all over. And so. <laughs> We get the we get the announcement in the press box from the official that uh, unsportsmanlike conduct on the Penn State coach. Everybody's like, "What in the heck's going on? What what did he what did James Franklin do?" And uh, apparently, they didn't really show any kind of replay on TV. Those of you who are watching, you, you didn't get to see any kind of replay. But then, lo and behold, they 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 show video of James Franklin doing push ups 
on, on TV. Now, this took a little while for it to get back to the press box because, again, what happens is we're not watching the TV. I can't stress this enough that even though we're at the stadium watching the game, you have more information on TV than we do. And so uh, I, I wrote a thing on Twitter, and this happens a lot when you know something controversial comes up. I'll put something on Twitter of, hey, what happened here? Can anybody on TV fill us in on what happened with the Franklin unsportsmanlike conduct penalty? And people replied, you know, they didn't show replay, but now James is doing push-ups on TV. And I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? So I'm sitting around a whole bunch of reporters, Mike Porman from statecollege.com, Audrey Snyder from The Athletic, Ben Jones from statecollege.com, Elton Hayes, CNHI, Pennsylvania, a lot of, a lot of reporters that, in, in our little pod there. And I see this tweet that says he's doing push-ups. I'm like, come on, is this serious or is this a joke? And then sure enough, video surfaces where, and you guys that are on TV, you'd already been able to see this several minutes before the, you know, the video showed up on social media, but oh my, this will forever be known as the James Franklin push-up game because you just, you don't see anything like that. And I'm kind of going on and on about it just because it's so different and so comical. And if this were a close game, then sure, maybe the whole push-up thing would not have been a gigantic deal. But I, I just look at it and think the whole dadgum thing is hilarious. I've covered college football for nearly 20 years, watched football my whole life. I don't think I've ever seen a coach on the sideline doing push-ups. And I give James Franklin credit. He said, hey, he said, hey everybody's held accountable. I got, I got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And you can tell I'm recording this late Saturday night. It, it's still comical at, to me as I see the see highlights of it and everything. So there you go. One of the, one of the wacky highlights of the season. I want to get back to my question though, of how are you feeling about Penn state football? Because again, after Michigan, it was easy to say this team started five and zero, but they clearly are not anywhere near as good as we thought. Okay. Well then they play against Ohio state and I'll continue to claim this. They were the better team for 51 minutes against Ohio State, leading 21-16 with nine minutes to go. That game completely got out of hand with some crazy stuff late, and Penn State ends up losing. But I don't think we can overlook the fact that Penn State outplayed Ohio State for 51 minutes. And I, getting back to Maryland and, and also Indiana and Minnesota, I do think you have to take into account how you play against mediocre and bad teams. Yes, Penn State should be beating these teams. Yes, Penn State was a pretty heavy favorite over all these teams. But the bottom line is Penn State has come out and beaten the hell out of these teams. And I I really like that component because to me, I watch a lot of, I, I watch a lot of college basketball, especially. I don't get to watch as much college football as most people would probably think because I'm covering the game so much, but you see a lot of close games in college football. Vanderbilt beat Kentucky on Saturday. What in the way at Kentucky, by the way, the Will Levis thing, that's the luster has really come off of him of late. Penn State's not farting around and, ba- and barely beating Minnesota or Indiana, or Maryland. 
Penn State is coming out and kicking these teams' rear ends. And so the headline I have on my analysis story at DK Pittsburgh Sports is, you know, Penn State continues to show people to show it's better than many people think. And I, I do agree. I do think that that's the case. Of course, I agree with it. I, I wrote the headline. But at eight and two and a chance to go 10 and two, you kind of have to start wondering how many teams in this country are better than Penn State? Well, certainly Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, probably TCU. Uh, you would think TCU is undefeated. Nice win on the road at Texas. But how many teams are better than Penn State that Penn State won't play? If ultimately the Lions finish 10-2 and two, and both Ohio State and Michigan go to the playoff, which I do still think is a good possibility, Michigan's not a guarantee if they lose Ohio State, but I, I, they're, they're certainly a good possibility. We're going to look back on this season and with, with a couple of different elements. Most people pick Penn State to go eight and three or nine and four. I picked them to go seven and five. So they've already surpassed my prediction at eight and two now. And so we're going to say, hey, this was a better season than we thought. Hopefully, 10 wins will be out there as, you know, they've got Rutgers and Michigan State next. And so you'll see it's a better season than they thought. Okay. But yeah, and then there'll also be the faction of people say, well, they lost the two biggest games to Michigan and Ohio State. And that's fine. That's fair. I just want to get back one more time to when you show up and you play really good football and you really take it to teams that you should take it to, I I put a lot of emphasis on that because I think it shows that you're ready to play every week. You're not messing around and playing down to the level of competition. If you've been a Penn State fan for a long, long time, you know there have been really good football teams at Penn State that have played down to the level of competition. That has happened for a long, long time throughout the program's history. And so I'm not saying this isn't necessarily a great Penn State team, but they're coming out and they're destroying these these mediocre to bad opponents. Uh, Again, I just want to stress, I think there is a lot of relevance in that. All right, coming up in the second segment, we have a new uh, quarterback record uh, for completion passing yardage at Penn State, Sean Clifford. What does that record mean? How are we to view that kind of career record with Sean Clifford, given obviously that he's been there for what, 27 years? Get to that here in the second segment. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. 
BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, welcome back to the We Are podcast here. Sean Clifford is the seventh quarterback in Big Ten history to throw for 10,000 yards in one season. I mean, just digest that. Let that sink in. The great tradition and history of the Big Ten, and clearly the passing passing numbers didn't really start coming into play until the late 90s, 2000s. But there have only been seven quarterbacks in Big Ten history with 10,000 yards passing, and Sean Clifford is one of them. I don't think we're ever going to fully be able to wrap our minds around that. I'm not going to turn this into a bashing Clifford session because we all know he's average. But Drew Brees, Curtis Painter, both of Purdue, they're 1-2 on the career Big Ten passing list, both with more than 11,000 yards. Number three, Adam Weber from Minnesota. Number four, Clayton Thorson from Northwestern. Number five, Brett Bassanet from Northwestern. Talk about a, a list of some random dudes. Adam Weber, Clayton Thorson, Brett Bassanet. Number six, Chuck Long. He finished runner-up in the Heisman uh, to Bo Jackson back in the day. He's sixth and Sean Clifford is seventh. Mediocre day for Clifford. 12 of 23, 139 yards. He's game, he's game manager again. That, that's really all he did uh, in the win because Penn State ran for 249 yards. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on the offensive line in the running game. But uh, Sean Clifford played in this game until it was 30 to nothing and broke Trace McSorley's Penn State career record of, uh, Trace had 9,989 yards. And uh, Clifford was able to break that. The fascinating comparison there. Trace McSorley is beloved. I think Trace McSorley will continue to be for many years, 20, 30 years, a beloved Penn State figure. The 2016 team winning the Big Ten, coming out of nowhere. Trace McSorley, the quarterback of that team, just a gritty, overcome all obstacles kind of player. If you're a Penn State fan, it was so easy to root for Trace McSorley because you just knew that guy was the ultimate gamer. And so now you have Sean Clifford, who not only has this record, I think he's going to have this record for a really, really long time, 20, 30 years. Because the problem is to throw for 10,000 yards in college football you kind of have to be a starter for four years. But most quarterbacks, if they're good enough to come close to that at a place like Penn State, they're not going to be there for four years. They're going to turn pro after three years. And so the whole thing with Clifford as a four-year starter, I, 
I, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying the fan base probably deep into the future, 10, 20, 30 years, however long Sean Clifford holds this record, they'll look at it with a grain of salt. When we try to figure out what his legacy will be at Penn State down the road, you know, they could still go 11 and 2 with either a Rose Bowl or an Orange Bowl victory, and that certainly would help his legacy. And the 10,000 yards is a huge number. But I just don't envision anybody ever sitting there saying, wow, great Penn State quarterback, Sean Clifford, 10,000 yards passing. That's just, that's not going to happen. So longevity, kind of a lifetime achievement award kind of thing. But I know a lot of you were probably thinking, hey, Penn State's up 14 to nothing, 21 to nothing. Can Drew Aller play? I talked extensively about this on the podcast last week. There is no quarterback rotation. None. It's just not happening. And Clifford was, again, mediocre at best in this game. But I'm going to read you the comment from James Franklin, who reinforced this for the second consecutive week. Drew Aller ain't playing. All right. Here's what. Franklin said, quote, I think early in the season, a couple games, we had a plan to try to get Drew in at a certain series, but we're way past that now. It just gets to the point where it's how soon can we get him in the game where we feel like the lead is enough that we're comfortable with doing it. So again, I'll repeat a lot of what I said last week. I know fans want to see Drew Aller playing in the first half. They want to see him get some meaningful series. It didn't happen in a blowout against Indiana. It didn't happen in a a blowout against Maryland. Penn State's defense had complete and total control of both of those games. There was no way in the world Indiana or Maryland was going to hang around and have a chance to come back against Penn State's defense. And yet Sean Clifford still stayed in the game until, you know, the score was uh, out of hand. So, um, this is Sean Clifford's show. We'll talk a whole lot more about this and I'll write more about this as we get closer to the bowl game, but who's going to play quarterback in the bowl game? Let's say they get to the Rose bowl or the orange bowl. Conventional wisdom would say, play the kid. Who's going to be the quarterback next year in Aller. Sean Clifford is going to play the bowl game. Sean Clifford's going to play the bowl game. Now, They'll find a way to maybe get Drew Aller a whole bunch of reps and bowl prep and everything. Sean Clifford's going to play. James Franklin's going to want to win that New Year's Six game, and, and he's going to feel like the best chance to do that will be Sean Clifford. So we'll, we'll touch on that much more later on. Well, I want to get into the offense, the offensive line and the running game here for a couple minutes before we get into our, our final segment. Hey, major props major hats off to the offensive line. We we have to, in life, in sports, if we're going to be critical of someone or a group or what have you, you've got to own up and say, hey, good job, whenever that person or that group deserves it. We have all been so critical of Penn State's offensive line for years and years and years. I'm not saying this is a tremendous offensive line, but I'm telling you, this group has 
has really overcome adversity and and been impressive as the season has gone on. And major credit to all those players on the line, major credit to Phil Troutwine. And look, a lot of this does come back to Mike Yersich as well, better offensive schemes, formations. You got two really good running backs and Singleton and Allen. But you've got a potential first-round draft pick in Olu Fashionu on uh, left tackle. Has not played the past couple games. A true freshman, Drew Shelton, steps in. They don't miss a beat. No sacks allowed against Maryland. 249 yards rushing. Landon Tingwall, an elite recruit, started half the season, has missed now half a season. He won't be back with the, with the surgery. And you've got Hunter Norzad stepping in there, doing a nice job. The line, again, you're not going to have like award winners. This is not an elite offensive line by any stretch. But we got to give those guys credit. It's the fourth game this season. Penn State has not allowed a sack. That's that's a pretty impressive number. And again, 249 yards rushing, opening up holes. And I, let's give credit to Yersich here for some of these formations. Uh, the, the T formation on the two fourth and ones where Singleton busted them for the long touchdown runs. Those were good, not only really good formations and schemes, good play calls, good execution on the blocking, and then Nick turned the corner on the right side and was gone. He goes 11 carries, 122 yards, two TDs. Katron Allen, 16 carries, 73 yards. And the rushing game averages 5.8 yards per carry, 249 yards rushing. Folks, Penn State was pathetic running the ball last year. Absolutely pathetic. It was a disaster. I felt like... Not only Mike Yersich should have been and could have been coaching for his job this season, but I absolutely feel like Phil Troutwine probably should have been and was coaching for his job this season. Hats off to those guys. We'll give again. We're gonna if we're gonna spend the entire off season blasting them and saying this is the biggest question mark and it's always the big, biggest question mark. Then let's take your hat off to him and say, hey, job well done. They've gotten that stuff figured out this year. And, you know, this is this is just, I, again, I think this is a good Penn State football team. How many teams in the country can we honestly say that we know for sure are better than Penn State? Yeah, maybe five, six, seven. But against some of these other teams, like a Clemson or, a, or a, 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 an Oregon, a UCLA, a USC. I, I mean, I, I, with the way Penn State's defense is played, and we'll talk about the defense in this third segment. But the way the defense is played, I, I could see Penn State hanging around with pretty much anybody they play, just as they did against Ohio State. All right, we'll take a break. Wrap things up in our third segment. We'll talk about Penn State's defense. Take a look around the country and the bowl scenarios, scenarios as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. Goodness gracious. Maryland has what we think is a nice, nice little quarterback in Talia Tungabailoa. But Penn State's defense made him look awful, made Maryland's running game look awful. Welcome to our third segment here on the We Are podcast. Tungavailoa, 11 of 22, 74 yards passing. Maryland for the game. This was the fourth highest rated offense in the Big Ten coming in. They had 134 yards. And Penn State did not even have Joey Porter Jr. And Curtis Jacobs playing. Joey's a first-round draft pick. Curtis Jacobs is a nice linebacker. They didn't even play, and Penn State held Maryland to 134 yards of offense. I mean, you want to talk about a complete and total butt whooping. Early in the second quarter, when Penn State was already up 14 to nothing, Maryland had a total of negative 14 yards. Just a brutal day for Maryland offensively. Their offensive line got manhandled. Penn State just tore them up. And here we are. It's mid-November. There have been some coaching uh, openings that have happened around the country, and then everybody's getting these coaching lists, the uh, coaching candidate possibilities. And it is surprising to me that Manny Diaz's name is not showing up on many of these lists. Now, it did show up on the opening at South Florida. Uh, obviously, since Miami, or he, uh, Manny coached Miami. I, I just think that'd be, that'd be an awful job for Manny Diaz. He, he can do better than South Florida. They've been irrelevant for a while. Um, and I, I still sit here and think in, in about three weeks when the regular season is done and more coaching vacancies come up, the way Penn State's defense has played this year I just got to believe some programs around the country are going to look at Manny Diaz and say, that guy, look what he did at Penn State in his year there. He's had a lot of success defensively at times in his career. He did a pretty good job at Miami. No, it wasn't a great job. Can they do better? Maybe. You know, could he have maybe, should he have maybe gotten a little more time? Maybe. But the little we've been around Manny from a media standpoint, he is just a leader, and I I give him a ton of credit for what he's done with this defense. The aggressiveness, let me go back. I started to cover Penn State football in 2006. Tom Bradley was a defensive coordinator. I have a lot of respect for Tom as a defensive coordinator. He did a great job at Penn State for a long, long time. It always drove me kind of nuts, though, watching Penn State's defense. Even years where they finished in the top 10 in total defense, they would just play this weird, bizarre, bend but don't break style. Defensive backs would be way off the wide receivers. They'd give them all kinds of cushion because Penn State generally had really good athletes and certainly great linebackers, and so they'd all swarm to the ball after the receivers. But I just... I just never liked that style. I pretty much hated it. It's third and five, and Penn State was playing seven yards off people. I never understood that. Never, just never could figure out. Now, look, 
Tom Bradley had a lot of success at Penn State, and they have uh, they had great de- defenses and certainly uh, a tremendous run of linebackers in the mid two thousands. But just that whole philosophy seemed strange to me. If you've got this good of players, get up and challenge these offensive players. Get up there, play aggressive, really get after it. And then, you know, as much respect as I have for Brent Pry, he really kind of did the same thing the last handful of years. This bend but don't break style will give you these short passes. I just love what Manny Diaz has come in and done. He 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 is aggressive with the defensive backs. They get in these receivers' faces. They are tremendous in coverage. No, Penn State's defensive line has not been sensational. Just, just think about, I mean, it, can, can you imagine this Penn State defense if they had a guy like Jason Owe uh, or, or even an Arnold Ebicady on this defense as well? Because, you know, they have not gotten tons and tons of pressure uh, on quarterbacks week in and week out, but yet they're still able to, to do a lot of things defensively. I give I just give Manny Diaz a lot of credit for coming in, changing the mindset. When he does leave, maybe he'll be after this year, maybe after next year. I can't imagine he'll be here longer than two years. I just hope that James Franklin adopts this philosophy. Because when he brought in Joe Moorhead in 2016 and, and, and Joe Mo changed things around offensively, James continued to utilize that offensive philosophy for the next few years. And things started to change a little bit this year with Yersich, but James really maintained what Jomo did and established in 2016, and that's what he wanted to do with Ricky Ronnie, with Kirk Shiraka, and even really last year with Yersich to a degree. I hope whenever Manny leaves that the next defensive coordinator, James, continues to implement this style of ultra-aggressiveness. Nine tackles for loss against Maryland, 16 last week against Indiana. That's the kind of defense I want to see play. If you're a Steelers fan, maybe a lot of you listen to this, or Penn State and Steelers fans, the whole super-aggressive Blitzburg kind of defense that the Steelers have played for a lot of years or did play for a lot of years, that's really what, you know, I, I think that is an extremely effective style as opposed to this third down and five Let's play seven yards off the ball and, and we'll bend but don't break and we'll let you move it up and down the field because we'll stop you in the red zone. This team not only can stop you in the red zone, this team can kick some serious rear, you know, even outside the 20s. So um, major props to Manny Diaz. And, and so, look, I, I want to take a look around the country here a little bit as well with the bowl scenario. I'm still... I'm still relatively optimistic and confident that Penn State can get to the Rose Bowl. There are no guarantees of what I'm talking about here that this will happen. But if Michigan, I think Michigan's playing real, I think Michigan is a really, really good team. Can Michigan beat Ohio State in Columbus? I don't think so, but I do expect that to be a really good game. Right now, Michigan's number three, Ohio State's number two. If Michigan goes to Columbus and say they're leading 24 to 23 and Ohio State drives the field in the final few seconds and loses 26 to 24. Ohio State wins 26 to 24, Michigan loses. How can you keep Michigan out of the playoff, honestly? I, I, so I wrote about this scenario last week. 
depending on what happens with TCU, it could come down between Michigan and Tennessee. Tennessee beat Alabama. Tennessee has been impressive, no question. If there's a one-loss Tennessee and a one-loss Michigan, it comes down between those two teams for one spot. That's a tough call. It's a tough call. But to me, Tennessee went to Georgia and lost, did not play well. If Michigan can go to Ohio State and play really, really well and lose by just a few points, man, that is just a really tough call. Personally, personally, I think Michigan is better than Tennessee. So I would like to see Ohio State and Tennessee get in. And then I think the other one, obviously Georgia, and then depending on what happens with TCU. So TCU beats Texas on Saturday. You, you're, all Penn State fans are going to need to watch TCU at Baylor next Saturday. TCU, it basically comes down to, if they go undefeated and win the Big 12, they're going to get into the playoff. They're going to get in as an undefeated team from the Big 12. But they've got a game at Baylor next week. Baylor is okay. Uh, ba- we've seen Baylor pull some upsets over the years. This is, this is not a great Baylor team like they've had some good teams you know, in the last handful of years. But uh, And they got destroyed, by the way. It looks like by Kansas State. Ooh, it's just checking this. They got they lost thirty-one to three. So that that could change some things. But Baylor has TCU coming in, and if they can find a way to beat TCU, then I think what happens is Georgia and Tennessee both get into the playoff from the SEC. Ohio State and Michigan both get in from the Big Ten, and to me, there you have the four best teams in the country. But uh, I. Personally, I think Michigan is better than Tennessee. I can't wait for that Michigan-Ohio State game uh, to see how that all plays out. We don't know exactly how it, how it's all going to shake out, but the committee, man, if, if Michigan loses a close game and the committee's got to determine between Michigan and, and uh, Tennessee, wow, that is a tough, tough call right there. All right, that's about going to wrap things up for me on this week's We Are podcast. A couple questions I have for you. How good are you feeling about Penn State right now? It always helps whenever you blow out a team. And uh, we'll always hopefully remember this as the push-up game <laughs> for James Franklin. That was, uh, that was nuts. Folks, thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. 